Shalom, and welcome to Think Jewish. This is the uh, Sunday before Sukkot. We're going to be talking about Sukkot in this class. The title is Sitting in the Shade. Before I begin the class, I just want to announce that next Sunday, which is Chalamot Sukkot, there is not going to be a class. The reason why there is not going to be a class is because Monday we have a special program for women which is called Smoothies in the Sukkah. And Tuesday, we have a special class for men, which is a barbecue in the Sukkah. And it's the beginning of a, far, a five part program that we're gonna be doing once every two months, a class together with an activity. It's called the five mystical steps to a happier you. And next week, the title again is about Sukkot, sitting in the shade, a total, total different class than today. Nothing in common. So for the women, next week, Monday night, it's going to be 7 o'clock here in Shul. We start on time. So 7 o'clock, there's going to be the class. There's going to be then the social part with the refreshments and smoothies. Then we're also going to have for the men, the next night is also the same class. But once again, it's going to be about the first of the five steps of a happier you. And it's called sitting in the shade. And it's going to be a barbecue. And every two months, we're going to have another activity following up with another step. Okay, so next Sunday's class is um, canceled. It's instead becoming a special women's program on Monday night here in the sukkah. And for the men, Tuesday night here in the sukkah. Please be on time, 7 o'clock. Okay. Tonight's class is just to explore the next step in the month of Tishrei. So let's back up a moment. In the world of Kabbalah and in the world of Hasidut, the month of Tishrei is called Chodesh HaKlali. It isn't an individual month. It's a month which is Klali because in this month lies all the gateways to the entire year. Which is why the month of Tishrei, if you play around with the letters, minus the Aleph, which has a special reason um, in the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidis. The letters to the word Tishrei also formulate the word Reshit, missing the Aleph. And again, because of what Rosh Hashanah stands for, it's purposely missing the Aleph. It's not by mistake. Which is very interesting, parenthetically speaking, because that's not tonight's class. The months, the names of the months of the Jewish calendar were not given by Jews. So it's very interesting that in Kabbalah and Hasidus, we continuously learn out of these names very deep teachings. Nisan, miracles with two nuns, um, Menachem Av, we learn out many things. Um, Kislev, Kaslem Levav. But there's many things that we learn out. It's just interesting, if you look in the Torah, we don't have no names in the Torah, it's just by number. And it will be on the first day of the seventh month, and it will be on the tenth day of the seventh month, it will be the fifteenth day of the seventh month. It always works that way, it does not use any names. Nevertheless, the month of Tishrei teaches us Te'ereshit. And on top of that, it's a Chodesh HaKlali. Just like the head is the Klali organ of the entire body, so too Chodesh Tishrei is the Klali month of the entire year. So we have Rosh Hashanah, then goes Yom Kippur, and the next on our Jewish calendar, what's the holiday coming up, is Sukkot. Now in Sukkot, what I'm going to present to you here, and briefly so tonight, it's uh, four days 
we're, we're very busy. So I'm really going to keep it brief tonight. But just to put a mindset, what is the job of Sukkot? The month, the, the holiday of Sukkot has a very, very interesting dichotomy. On one hand, you have the extreme of the month of Sukkot, which is that we step into the Sukkah. The Sukkah encompasses us. By the way, it's one of the only two mitzvot that you completely immerse your body in. One is the Sukkah, and the other one is the Mikvah. So, Sukkah, we step into the Sukkah. On the other hand, Sukkot has a very interesting mitzvah, which is to take the four minim, the arba minim, the four species, the lulav, the etrog, and the hadasim and the aravot. And what do we do? We take it from all four sides, and where do you have to shake it? The custom is that you bring it from the side to your heart. From the side to your heart. So, in all six directions, you're pulling it into your heart. In very interesting teachings, that taking the four species and bringing it to your heart is just like the Al-Chet that we say on Yom Kippur, where we bring our hand to our heart. So, on the one hand, Sukkot is about what? Us stepping into, being encompassed by, and on the other hand, it's drawing in from the six sides, which is the Makifim, all six directions, the four directions, top and bottom, we bring it into our heart. The same thing we find in the Sukkot is a very interesting concept that in Kabbalah we are taught that the entire concept of Sukkot is to remember that what? That when we were in the desert, God surrounded us by clouds and He protected us. We also sat in tents. So there's a concept of remembering the tents that we sat in. And then there's the general tent quote-unquote, which is the clouds, the clouds of glory, which honored us and protected us in the desert. Now there's an interesting teaching that where does the schach, when you talk about the sukkah, you know that the primary part of the sukkah, which has all the detailed laws to it, is the schach, the roofing. The walls can be made out of anything. Remember, we had a neighbor across the street from us in Crown Heights who he would actually take those, you know, those red um, trays that hold six or eight uh, bottles of Coke that's red? So he would actually build a sukkah like Lego out of that. An entire sukkah with a window and everything. It was always cute to see. Because you can build a sukkah out of anything. The only part of the sukkah that has specific laws, what it could be, and how it has to be, is the schach. So what happens is the schach has to be that which grows from the ground, but is disconnected from the ground. The schach has to have more shade than it has sunlight. In other words, if you see in the daytime that there's more sunlight coming through than shade, the sukkah is not kosher. There has to be more shade than sunlight. So the main part of the sukkah is the schach. The walls, by the way, I remember my uncle, Shalim Begwal, that uh, over the ages of the time and then the snow and everything that happened, the roof of the garage and back of the house came down. This, the walls of the garage itself in New York was built out of bricks. 
However, the roof, the wood, after all, the everything, after years and years and years, it was old, it came crashing down. So he had it cleaned out, and that garage became his sukkah. Very simple. Beautiful. You have four walls, and you have nothing on top. He built beams going back and forth, crisscrossing. And then on top of that, over here we use palm. In New York, we use uh, the uh, pine. Because the walls can be made out of anything. The schach is the greatest part of the sukkah. Now, don't get me wrong. There is laws to how many walls you have, how's the major height, what's the minimum height, and the how, what's the least amount of walls that you can have. But it's not that detailed. So when we talk about the schach, which is the most important part of the sukkah, here's a very interesting Kabbalistic teaching. That the smoke from the incense of the holies of holies, the holy of holies, is what makes the schach of the sukkah. Interesting teaching. Where does the schach, spiritually speaking, where does it come from? It comes from that smoke on the most intimate moment, the most powerful moment of Yom Kippur, when he went in with the 11 different types of spices that made the incense, and that filled up the entire Holy of Holies. Kabbalistically speaking, from that smoke comes the sukkah. Just to make a little clarifying what that means, what happens is that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Jew is pushed beyond his internal powers into his encompassing powers. Let's get a little bit more detailed. The soul is made up of five le levels. There's the lower three, which is the nefesh, ruach, and nishama. Then there is the higher two, which is the chaya and yechida. The higher two are encompassing. They represent the supernal crown the interior and the exterior of the supernal crown, which are the most powerful forces that we have in our human psyche, and so too in the revelations in divinity. For example, the power of will and the power of pleasure is not limited to any single organ. You can have the strongest will that will manifest itself in your feet because you want to run a marathon, and you can have a will which will manifest itself in your brain that you want to understand this piece of Gemara. Because the power of will makes no difference if you have a will of an intellectual thing, an emotional thing, a, a physical thing. The power of will doesn't have any specific organ in the body. The power of will is an encompassing power and therefore manifests and drives any and every part of your body. Physically and metaphysically, which is why we say if there's a will, there's a way. The ratzon, the will, drives that your faculties should reach its fullest potential. Which normally, because we are a lazy creature, we don't have that. But when you have a will that drives you, a real will, then all of a sudden the, your faculties reach its fullest potential. You all of a sudden understand a piece of Gemara that you didn't think you'd ever understand. You could run a marathon that you didn't think you could ever run. That song is very powerful. So too with the power of pleasure. Pleasure can come from touch. Pleasure can come from smell. Pleasure can come from hearing music. Pleasure can come from seeing art. And pleasure can come, in, come from intellectual understanding. 
So the concept of pleasure, once again, doesn't manifest itself in any specific organ. And again, the power of pleasure drives us to do things beyond our normal status. You see clearly that many people, unfortunately, will give away and ruin their family, their position, their hard work over not being able to control themselves when it came to pleasure. So these two are encompassing powers. Then there's the second layer, which is the lower three, that already manifests itself in the ten faculties and the three garments, which is the three intellects, the seven emotions, and the thought, speech, and action. Nefesh ruch neshama. In some places, we actually give the highest faculty, which is chachma, wisdom. We actually push it up a level. We make it as part of chaya. We push that into the power of will. And because the ego faculties actually begins with understanding. Wisdom depends upon humility. The koach ma. The potential of saying, what? What is this? That potential of being humble and asking what is something that's really more humble, more of the encompassing powers than the bina, than the more egocentric powers. I understand. I can wrap my brain around this. Bina begins the lower three levels. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, what we're looking for is to connect with our encompassing powers. We're looking to squeeze and crack beyond the ego of the internal powers and to get to the oil hidden within us, the essence, which is the encompassing powers. And that's why Rosh Hashanah is all about the sounding of the shofar, that simple, illogical outcry of the essence of our soul. And Yom Kippur is once again that concept of absolute teshuvah that comes from, that again, that essence of the soul that can do nothing but be one with God. As the Alter Rebbe said in the previous Rebbe quoted him, not a Jew can nor a Jew wants to be separated from God. On an intellectual level, that's not true. On an essence, encompassing level, on the most powerful parts of our faculty, the encompassing parts, the power of will, the power of, of uh, Ta'anug, which also reflects itself in the power of faith, neither a Jew can nor a Jew wants to be separated from God. And thus from his Torah mitzvot. So therefore, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, what are we looking to do? We're looking to go out of ourselves, go out of our box, go out of our intellectual faculties, our emotional faculties. We're looking to get into the essence in which as soon as you reveal that, you've reached the Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Then comes the power of Sukkot, and that's the power of now internalizing that which we had on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. To be a little bit more specific, the Sukkah related to the smoke of Yom Kippur is because in Kabbalah language, the Sukkah is the, encompass, the encompassing powers of understanding. Now I want to just share with you what's going on here. Encompassing powers of understanding seems to be a dichotomy in itself. 
For those who know a little bit of Kabbalah language and is quoted in the beginning of Tanya, he says over there, he quotes over there a book and he says, Shar HaChashmal. We know Chashmal as what? Modern Hebrew, it's electric. But in Kabbalah, it wasn't electric. Chashmal is a dichotomy. Chash means to be quiet. And mal, from the word malel, means to talk. Chashmal. It's a dichotomy. Why is it a dichotomy? Because encompassing and understanding is a dichotomy. When we talk about the encompassing powers, means that it is encompassing me. I can't wrap my head around it. It has wrapped itself around my head. There's a very clear difference when you can say, I got it. I got it. I understand this. Those words, I got it, clearly means that I'm wrapping my head around it. I have internalized it. People, how does the human mind work? The human mind works very simple. Divide and conquer. You'll always do that. In the world of Bina, in methodological approach, it's always divide and conquer. What do you do in division, right? What, what were you taught as kids? 12 into 22,000. You right away divide and conquer. 12 into 22. Remainder, bring another zero. Remainder, bring another zero. What are you doing? You're dividing that big number into a little number and you do it, right? What's the, if, if hypothetically speaking, an elephant was kosher, how do you eat an elephant? Mouthful by mouthful. Because the human mind works the same way. It's divide and conquer. And that's why in the world of methodology, in the world of thinking in a methodical form, that's what your mind is doing. And because your mind does that, Divide, conquer, divide, conquer, divide, conquer, detail by detail, your mind wraps itself around the entire intellectual thought, and you have digested the intellectual thought, and you can say, I got it. The exact opposite of wisdom, which is chachma, which is koachma. All I can do is ask, what is going on? Ma. Why is the mana called mana? We're told because the Jews asked, Mahi, what, what is this? We can't wrap our brain around it. So therefore, the concept of Bina is really the concept of being able to talk. Because you've divide, conquer, divide, conquer, divide, conquer, you can now express what you understand. It's very hard to express what you don't understand. <laughs> Unless you're a politician. But we'll take it off the record. But the average person, I understand it, I can explain it. So Bina is the internalization of it. Now in the world of Chabad, this is a very, very important part of Chabad. Because Chabad in itself is the same dichotomy. What does Chabad stand for? Chachma Bina Dat. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And yet, what do you have in Chabad so much? The concept of Kiddushah and Emunah, which both of them transcend Chabad. Once again, the dichotomy, Chash Mal. Faith is Chash. You can't talk. You don't understand it. I believe. I can't explain it to you. If I can explain it to you, I know it. If I know it, I don't believe it. I know it. I know it, and I believe it are two different worlds. 
So on the one hand, Chabad is focused on Kiddushah and Emunah, which is I don't know, I believe, and yet our whole essence is Chabad, Chachma, Binada, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. And the reason for this is because the Rebbe says that the line between intellect and faith is a living organism. It has to consistently be moving. What I believed in yesterday, I understand today, and my amuna today is even greater than what I had yesterday. Because if I understand what I believed in yesterday, I now have the capacity to believe in that which I couldn't even believe in. So that line between understanding and believing is consistently, if you're a growing human being, you're consistently moving that line. You're consistently etching away at what you believe, digesting it into I understand, which opens up greater horizons for faith. Look at it in a very simple perspective. Most of the things that you understand today about the holidays, when you were a child, it was faith. Why do we do it? Because as Jews, that's what we do. Then you grow older, you find out that this is biblical, this is rabbinical, this is a custom, this isn't even a custom, it's a hidur mitzvah, it's just a beautification of a mitzvah. So all that once upon a time used to be one simple thing, anim amin. Why do we have a sukkah? Anim amin. The Torah says, you have to do it. Believe. As you grow older, you start learning. What's with the sukkah? What is it on a mystical level? What is it on a halachic level? What is it on a Talmudic level? There's a whole Talmud named sukkot. There's unbelievable teachings about teachings of Hasidut about sukkot. What are the two different things here? The sukkah, the four species. So as you grow, all that which you used to give an answer, I believe. You no more say, I believe. Today you say, I understand and I know. But you still have a Munah. What do you have a Munah in now? It's very simple. The taller my intellect gets, the higher my power of horizon is, I can believe things that I couldn't even believe before. Let me just give you a little example. When you first start out life, in your relationship and faith in God, what is your faith in God? That God is the Creator. Bore Olam. Right? That's all our brachot. Bore Minim is or not. It's all about God is the creator of everything. So my faith in God is that God is the creator. Beyond that, I didn't even think. What happens as you grow up and you start learning more and more Hasidut, and all of a sudden you realize that to believe that God is the creator of the world is actually logical? Just like the artist begets, just like the art begets an artist, so through creation begets a creator. And all of a sudden, I have logical proof that there has to be a creator. So that's no more emunah. What becomes emunah? I now understand that to call God as a creator is a misunderstanding. God isn't a creator. God is far greater than that. God is God. One of the things that God did was he created the world. Tell me, what was God before he created the world? He wasn't a creator. What was he then? So obviously, I understand that the concept of God, when I used to believe that God is a creator, today I realize I don't believe that God is a creator. God is far greater than a creator. But because he created the world, 
He's thus is known to us as a creator. So the more that yesterday's faith becomes today's understanding, the greater is my vision and my horizon of faith in God. Way beyond what I thought God was. And this continues as long as you're a human being which understands that if I don't grow, I'm actually decomposing. I need to keep on growing. Thus, I keep on understanding yesterday's faith and it keeps on moving higher and higher. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur of 5773 is not the Rosh Yom Kippur of 5774. I have Rosh Hashiva. He should live and be well. He used to be my Rosh Hashiva. Today is my son's Rosh Hashiva. I introduced him when I brought him to New York to go into Yeshiva. His name is Rabbi Israel Friedman. And every single student, when they notified him that it was his birthday, Rabbi Israel Friedman, he should live and be well, always gave the same bracha in Yiddish. Ayor Elte, Ayor Klieger, Ayor Frimer. You're a year older, thus you're a year smarter, thus you have to become a year more observant. You grow. If this year's Rosh Hashanah Kippah was the same like last year's Rosh Hashanah Kippah, you didn't grow. That's from the human perspective, because we have grown. From the Kabbalistic perspective, the entire approach to Rosh Hashanah Kippah is that a new divine light, which is unprecedented, has been introduced into the world. And thus, we're never having a repetitious cycle. We're always having an elevation of cycle. So even though we keep on going round and round and round and round, but look at it not as a circle, look at it as a spiral sta stairway. So we are going in a circle, only we're going higher and higher. Thus, this Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, from God's perspective, was introduced a new divine light into creation. From our perspective, we thus reach deeper into an unprecedented level, unprecedented level of our soul, mind, and heart. And thus the entire process of encompassing and then internalizing must take place. The fact that last Sukkot I internalized certain levels is not enough for this year. Because this year there's a whole new level that hasn't been internalized yet. Because I wasn't capable of internalizing it last year. So thus, Sukkis is a very beautiful dichotomy. It's the encompassing powers of Bina. Which again, by mere definition, is a dichotomy. Just like Chash and Mal put it together is a dichotomy. You're either quiet or you're talking. You're either being surrounded by or you are wrapping yourself around. One or the two. So Makif and the Bina is a dichotomy. Makif and the Bina, the encompassing powers of Bina is no small level. It is why that the Rebbes did not sleep on Sukkot. From, we notice from the second Lubavitcher Rebbe that the Rebbes would not sleep on Sukkot. Not that it's physically possible to not sleep for eight days. We know that it's not possible because the Rambam says if someone takes upon himself an oath, you don't wait till he falls. You immediately give him lashes because it's physically impossible not to sleep for eight days. So what it means is not that the Rebbes didn't sleep at all, but like we learned in the Talmud concerning the Simcha Bet HaSheva, they used to misnamnim al-Ktaf They were there all night dancing. <laughs> By day you're learning and davening. By night you're dancing. When do you sleep? So it says, 
that they used to what we used to call what is called in Yiddish chapadremel. You know what chapadremel means? To catch a dream. You catch a you catch a snooze. And then, so in the Talmud it says they actually put their head on their on their friend's shoulder and you have the little snooze. The Rebbe's didn't go to bed for the entire Sukkot. Physically speaking, they would have a snooze, and I don't want to talk that way about the Rebbe, but that would happen sitting by their desk over a book. Why wouldn't they go to sleep? Very simply. Because halakhically speaking, if you sleep, you have to sleep in the Sukkot. But the Middle Rebbe said, the second March Rebbe said, how can you sleep in the presence of the encompassing powers of Bina? So you and I don't feel that. We step into the sukkah and oh, we feel this heat or rain. The tzaddikim, they step into the sukkah, they feel the smoke of the incense of Yom Kippur is on top of their head in this chach. That divine revelation of Makif and the Bina. Now again, I just want to, you know, when we talk Kabbalah, you got to be careful. We got to keep, you know, keep ourselves grounded. Just understand what we mean here. How was the world created? The world created in seven days, right? The sixth day and the seventh day was Menucha. Now the Zohar says, what are the six days and the seventh day? They are the six male emotions and the seventh, which is the feminine mystique, right? So when you talk about the Svirot, you talk about Chesed, kindness, strictness, compassion, all those Svirot, that's what created the world. And that's why the first day, which is Chesed, kindness, God created light. The second day, which is strictness, what happened on the second day? God separated the waters. On the sixth day, which is Yisod, foundation, what did God create? The foundation of the world, mankind. Shabbat, that is kingship. What did God create? The day of rest. Don't be mundane. So that means that the entire revelation that God used to create the world is the seven emotions. What's higher than the world? So, that, uh, so the teaching is that 2,000 years before the world was created, God wrote the Torah. That's a little problematic because there was no time. God created time. The Masrit Shemagat says he created time with the bet operation. The bet operation created two things, time and space. So how can you have 2,000 years before if there was no such thing as time? So the Ariya Kadosh says that the word Aleph, which is a thousand, can also be Alefcha, teacher. Who are the two teachers? Wisdom and understanding. So what I just introduced to you is that when you talk about the wisdom and understanding of God, you're talking about that which is beyond creation. Because creation was created with the emotions of God. The lower seven, not the higher three. So you understand that when you introduce into this physical world, which is the world of emotions, when you introduce into this world the divine light of wisdom and understanding, you're transcending. You're bringing an entire new revelation into this world which doesn't fit in. Because the world was made to absorb the emotions of the spiritual world. It's all about chesed. But when you introduce Torah, which is wisdom and understanding, you're bringing into the world an entire new, not just quantity, but quality, infinite quality of divine light. Thus, immediately, we have to begin the process of internalizing. Thus, you understand that the Makif and the Bina, which didn't allow the Rebbes and the Tzaddikim that were able to sense it to sleep, was real. 
How real is it? I'll tell you how real it is. The night before my daughter went to camp in Toronto, she couldn't sleep. Why couldn't she sleep? Because there was a new excitement that didn't allow her to sleep. She never went away out of the country alone. Here's all, wow, I'm going to Toronto. She didn't sleep. Something unprecedented. Now we're getting a little glimpse of what it means when a tzaddik senses Makif and the Bina. There's no sleeping. Aye, you physically can't be up, so you doze off and you wake up again. So the process of the sukkah is a very important process. And that's why Sukkot is the time of Simcha, Zman Simchatenu, the holiday of joy, versus the high holidays, which are the days of awe. Why? Because encompassing, by definition, means it's not revealed. It's not revealed. It's hidden. It's hidden just beyond our grasp. That creates awe. When you stand in the face of something great, which leaves you speechless, because you could not, what could we not do? We couldn't apply to divide and conquer. Encompassing by definition is circular. Circular has no beginning and no end. I can't divide and conquer. I can just try my best to open myself up to it. That causes awe. Wow, when it starts coming to sukkahs, we're starting to absorb, internalize, understand. That's the time for revelation. That's the time for joy. But again, in sukkot, there's a dichotomy. Because you need to have that connecting factor between the encompassing and the internal. And that's the role of the makifim debina, encompassing powers of the methodological process of understanding. And that's what the whole concept of chash mal is. The silence and the talking. Again, I like to use examples which help us digest it and not just shake with our head. Amen. I'm sure the rabbi knows what he's talking about. Amen. Because we're not getting anywhere. That's not what our class is about. No, our class is not about saying amen. Our class is about working it out, arguing between the human intellect and the godly intellect, trying to open up. So what are we talking about here? You ever find a process where you have a novice, someone new, whether it be a child, whether it be a new lawyer, whether it be a new doctor, that concept of new, when he's first starting to get it, but he doesn't really get it, what does the teacher do? He's afraid to answer. The teacher has to slowly do what? Has to slowly pry it out of him. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, go ahead. Continue with that thought. What the student is experiencing at that moment, now, now this is not an example I saw anywhere, so take it at face value. What the student is experiencing at that moment where he's slowly saying a word, pulling back and being quiet. It's that process where the teacher is slowly telling him, yeah, 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 you're getting it, you're getting it. Develop, develop that thought. Tell me what you're thinking. Continue talking. That's kind of a chashmal experience. 
It's where the student is slowly but surely internalizing in his own rationale that which he accepted faithfully because his teacher told it to him. And a very clear difference when you accept faithfully what your teacher said or you rationally understand it is when you're able to extrapolate. If I don't understand, I only trust the teacher, I can only give the exact answer to the exact question that he taught me. Change any of the variables in the question and I'm lost. Because I'm not sure if that variable is a main factor or not a main factor. Thus I'm afraid. I play with the process. I want my teacher to hold my hand. Am I right about this? Did I get it right? Because if I got it right, then my extrapolation from case A to case B is correct. If I didn't get it right, then I got to back off case B because I was never taught case B. I only was taught case A. That process where you're reaching out to your teacher and your teacher is prying you. Come on, come on, trust yourself. Move forward. That's a hashmal experience. That's where the student is developing his faculties, internalizing, dividing and conquering a certain piece of knowledge that until now was only accepted at faith of what his teacher taught him. So Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, that we're going out of our box, we don't have the power of internalization. It's a total new revelation from the divine perspective and from my soul's perspective. And thus, that's a capacity that I didn't even know existed, and I'm not sure yet what to do with it. Presently, all I can say is, Amen. Sukkot is the time to open up your inner faculties, to absorb what you said Amen to on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Because Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, the job was to step out of your faculties. Not just be negotiating rationally and logically with God. It was a concept of being subservient to God. It was the concept of being a servant to a king, which we spoke about in the previous classes. Sukkot is the time to start internalizing that. And that has two stages. Stage number one is the schach. I step into the sukkah. Not I absorb the sukkah into me. I am absorbed into the sukkah. The schach, I'm internalizing it. When you make the bracha leshe sukkah, you look at the schach. You're internalizing that energy, that smoke from the incense of the Holy of Holies of Yom Kippur. But that still is more the chash mal. You're walking very gently for every word you are saying. There's two words you're not saying. Chashmal. Your teacher is drawing you. Go ahead, go ahead. Continue that thought. And then there's the next step, which is the four species. Bringing it straight against the heart. Joy. The world of Hasidus. Joy serves two purposes. Normally, 
joy only serves one purpose. It's the expression of a feeling, not the creation of a scenario. Give me a reason to be happy and I will be happy. Or let me make a gratitude list. Let me realize already how many reasons I already have to be happy. In the world of Hasidus, Simcha is not just a reaction, it's also being proactive. Because we're taught, Simcha toilets together. Joy breaks through boundaries. When a person is in a state of joy, his faculties are open to be stretched. When a person is depressed, his faculties are not open even to their full capacity, never mind being stretched beyond their capacity. Joy allows you to do something that you won't normally do. A miser in a time of joy will very easily announce drinks on me. Everyone knows this guy doesn't spend a penny. But now that he's in a total different state of mind of openness, of joy, drinks on me. Because simcha poets together. Thus understand that this man simcha tenu is a double-edged sword. It's the reaction to being able to internalize and digest what took place on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. But also it in itself is the proactive opening up to be able to internalize the encompassing powers of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Thus we understand what Sukkot is all about. Thus we understand why it's so important that Sukkot is Man Simchatenu. If you get it, rejoice. If you don't get it, you need to open up. If you don't get it, rejoice. Let's make it practical. The class is over. Let's make it practical. There's no question that Rosh Hashanah and Kippah, we let go. Rosh Hashanah and Kippah, we open our hands. We don't try to take the control factor, divide and conquer. We realize that Rosh Hashanah is a time where I stand before the King. I am not capable of understanding the King, capital K. What I could do is, I can give myself to the King. I can surrender to the King. Thus we're talking about encompassing powers, which are greater than me. They exist within me, but they're greater than me. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is about the bowing. Complete subservience to God. Complete surrender to God. Then comes along the next stage, which is Sukkot, which is the internalization. Now the internalization of Sukkot has to have two parts. There's the first days of Sukkot, Sukkot and Chalamot Sukkot, which by very definition, by the way, the Sukkah is also a dichotomy. On one hand, the Sukkah is not my home. It's the tent. By definition, if you have schach on your Sukkah more than 30 days before Sukkot, it's not a kosher Sukkah. Because then that roof is not a temporary roof, it's a permanent roof. It's a permanent roof, it's not a Sukkah. So there you have the dichotomy. On one hand, Sukkot has to be like your house. Everything you do in your house all year, do in the Sukkah. 
And on the other hand, the sukkah, by definition, has to be temporary. Again, the same thing. Makifim, debina. Chash, mal. Encompassing, internalizing. Quiet, talk. Everything you do at home, in a temporary tent. So the first part of Sukkot is that Makif and the Bina, the Chashmal. It's where the student is, is a little iffy. He needs to be, his hand needs to be held. He needs to be pried. He's saying one word, being quiet, two words. The ultimate internalization, by the way, is not Sukkot. The ultimate internalization is Shemini Atzerek and Simchat Torah, where you go back into the house. And this manifests itself in the ultimate level. Do you know what the ultimate level internalization is? Not when your mind gets it or your heart feels it, but when your feet dance it. That's the ultimate internalization. Because if I only can intellectually grasp it or emotionally feel it, that means only my higher faculties was able to internalize and connect. But when it can break through everything of mine, that even though I don't understand what it says in the Torah, my feet know to rejoice that God has given us the Torah. That's the ultimate internalization. Moving into the house, dancing with your feet with the Holy Torah. So the journey of Sukkot is to open up, start internalizing what you experience in Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, Bring it into your mind, bring it into your heart, until Simchat Torah, bring it into your feet. Experience an unprecedented Jewish pride and Jewish joy in being chosen to receive the Torah. People, thank you.